We're going to do two things today. We're going to start with 1 Samuel 15 for a little bit. Then we're going to do a little of the Easter story from Jonah. Last week we saw that Saul is now the king of Israel. And he's demonstrating his self-will and his, well, his really inability to rule Israel faithfully. And he was going to even have his son killed because he said anybody that tastes anything to eat after the battle, well, they were starving to death, his, his army. So Jonathan didn't know that his own son had tasted a little honey, which revived him. Then he said, for that, I must die. So anyway, it talks about that. But in chapter 14, we closed it with, So Saul established his sovereignty over Israel and fought against all his enemies on every side, against Moab, against the people of Ammon, against Edom, against the kings of Zobah, and against the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he harassed them. And he gathered an army and attacked the Amalekites and delivered Israel from the hands of those who plundered them. And then it mentioned his sons, Jonathan, Jeshua, Malkishua, and the names of his daughter, Merib, and Michael. The name of Saul's wife was Ahinoam, the daughter of Ahimaaz. The commander of his army was Abner, the son of Ner, Saul's uncle. We're going to see Abner a lot. He was a very marvelous commander. He was senselessly murdered, we're going to see a little later. Kish was the father of Saul, and Ner the father of Abner, so forth. There was fierce war with the Philistines all the days of Saul, and when Saul saw any strong man or any valiant man, he took him for himself. So, Lord, we just ask that you bless us as we forge ahead in this little book of 1 Samuel with these wonderful stories of David finally getting to be the king. And he's a picture that someday Jesus, who's from the family of David, will rule too from Jerusalem. So bless us as we consider these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Samuel also said to Saul, Samuel was the last of the judges. And Samuel said to Saul, he's an old man now. The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish what Amalek did to Israel. See, Amalek was from Esau's family. They always hated the Jewish people. And the Amalekites went on down all through the Old Testament when the Jewish people in the time of Esther, uh, who was Haman? He was from this same family. And all of the Herods were from this same family of Esau because they go way back. And they all hated Israel. So Samuel said, I want you to attack Amalek destroy all they have, and don't spare them. Kill everyone. And so we know that he didn't. He attacked, verse 7, he attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But what did Samuel say? It's Agag and the Amalekites that we've got to get rid of. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them, but everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. So the Lord said to Samuel, I greatly regret that I've set up Saul as king, for he's turned back from following me and hasn't performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. He really 
wanted Saul to be successful. He was grieved. And in the morning, he went to meet Saul and was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel and built a monument for himself. And he's gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. And so when Saul met Samuel, he said, I've done everything you told me to do. And Samuel said, what does the bleeding of the oxen in my ears mean? And he said, well, we've saved the best to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Well, see, this was just very bad. And then Samuel in verse 22 said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion, to be a rebel, is as a sin of witchcraft or divination, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, the Lord has rejected you from being king. So we see that he's sending Samuel now to anoint a new person who's going to be king. But the end of this 15th chapter, they didn't kill Agag, but they brought him to Samuel, and Samuel killed him. Then Samuel, verse 34, went to Ramah. Saul went up to his house at Gibeah, and Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Then the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing that I've rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil, this would be olive oil, and go. I'm sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. So from Bethlehem, there's a man named Jesse, and he has sons, and one of those sons is going to be the king. And Samuel said, well, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord, which is what they were going to do at yearly feast day. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I named to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he sanctified Jesse and his sons, invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, surely, this would be the first form, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. He was probably beautifully built and an athlete. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't look at his appearance or the height of his stature because I've refused him. For the Lord doesn't see as man sees. This is a very important verse. The Lord doesn't see as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now that's a very important thing that we need to realize. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. So he sent and brought in David. Now David was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David. 
from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah, which is like a suburb of Bethlehem. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord, a demon possession, really. So the Lord allowed a demon to come and distress Saul. And Saul's servant said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is a skillful player on the harp. And it shall be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you. Then you shall be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I've seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who's skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey, loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them by his son David to Saul. So David came to Saul and stood before him, and Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. Then Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Please let David stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. So it was whenever the Spirit from God was upon Saul that David would take a harp and play it with his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. So evidently evil spirits can come and go in a person. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle. These enemies, the Philistines that lived in Gaza on the coast, and were gathered together at Socha, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Socha and Ezekah in Ephesdamim. This is in the hills of Judah. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in a battle array against the Philistines. So evidently there's this valley with mountain on both sides, one army on one side, one on the other. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits, nine feet, nine inches. That's what he was, almost 10 feet tall, with six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head. He was armed with a coat of mail. And we can read about him in Second Samuel and Chronicles that he had five brothers. And these were these giants, these fallen ones that we first meet in Genesis 6. Turn back to Genesis 6 for just a second. Now it came to pass, chapter 6, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God, this would be like Job 1, angels. So these would be angels that are rebelling against God. The sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful. So these angels took wives for these girls, for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever. He's indeed flesh, yet his days shall be a 120 years. So this is the reason why the flood had to come to destroy these half-breed, really, they were half-angel, half-human. So the Lord said, there were giants, or Nephilim, the word is, or fallen ones. And the Septuagint translation, which is 70 Jewish scholars, did the scriptures about 250 B.C. in Greek, when Greece was strong. And so the Septuagint said that these Nephilim are fallen, human, and angelic descent, like the Titans of Roman and Greek mythology. So when you 
hear about the mythology of these giants that come down and marry humans. Well, there's some truth in that. There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward. Goliath was nine feet, nine inches. That's a giant. And there were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward. So then after the flood, in a certain group of people, and it's among the Canaanites, because God has a curse against Canaan. They were wicked. So the daughters of men, they bore children to them. They were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry he's made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things, birds of the air, for I'm sorry that I've made them. But Noah found grace. The first time this word is used, that's unmerited favor. Noah found unmerited favor in the eyes of the Lord. This was the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generation, so he wasn't infected in his family with angels cohabiting. So he walked with God, and Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And the earth was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. Jesus said later on, as it was in the days of Noah, so it's going to be at the end of time before he comes back and sets up his kingdom. It's going to be corrupt. Are we beginning to see this in our world? Corrupt, and the earth was filled with violence, people cutting heads off and killing children. And God looked on the earth. Indeed, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Romans 1.24 said, God gave them up. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And so he said, You make an ark of gopher wood. So eight people were spared through this awful time of the flood. So that's what he was. He was a very large man. So verse 5 of chapter 17. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of his coat was 125 pounds of bronze. Some say 200 pounds. Imagine carrying that. And he had bronze greaves or shin guards on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 15 pounds. And the shield-bearer went before him. And then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel. So Goliath, this giant, did. So the Israelites were standing on their side of the mountain, and nobody moved. They were scared to death. So he stood and cried to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and you the servants of Saul? Not servants of the Lord. Servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come and fight with me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. Then the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of the Ephrathite from Bethlehem of Judah, whose name was Jesse, who had eight sons. And the man was old, Jesse was, 
advanced in years in the days of Saul. And the three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the first one, next Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself forty days, morning and evening. Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain, or five and a half gallons of dried grain, these ten loaves, and run to your brothers at the camp, and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand, and see how your brothers fare, and bring back news of them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with a keeper, took the things, and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to the fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, came and greeted his brothers. Then, as he talked with his brothers, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who's come up? Surely he's come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption in Israel, no taxes. Then David spoke to the men, who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in this manner, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, when he spoke to the men, he heard, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you've come down to see the battle. Well, why wasn't Eliab in the battle fighting? Why wasn't he fighting Goliath? David said, well, what have I now done? Isn't there a cause? There, there's a reason I've come. Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. And when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul. And he sent for David. Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go. And he, I don't know, maybe he was 16 or 17 years old. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose against me, as I got it from its mouth, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing that he's defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear. The Lord will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. 
And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. So Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. And David fastened his sword to his armor, and he tried to walk, for he hadn't tested them. And David said to Saul, I can't walk with these, for I've not tested them. So David took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had, and his sling was in his hand. And he drew near the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come out to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you, take your head from you. This day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistine to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And so it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to David to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in the bag, took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead. He was so covered over with armor, the only place that was open to flesh was where his eyes were. And he struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took the Philistine's sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him, cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted, pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley and to the gates of Ekron, which would be one of the capital cities of Philistia. And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Sharim, even as far as Gath, another capital city, and Ekron, another major city. Then the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their tents. And David took the head of the Philistines, brought it to Jerusalem, and he put his armor in his tent. Now when Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? See, he knew him because he'd been playing for him when the evil spirit came upon him. He said, O king, I don't know. And the king said, Inquire whose son this young man is. Then as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistines, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. And it was so when he had finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and wouldn't let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant. 
because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him, gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and in the sight of Saul's servants. Now it happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine that the women had come out of the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines joy, with musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Then Saul was very angry. And the saying displeased him. And he said, they've ascribed to David 10,000. And to me, they've ascribed but thousands. You see the petulance in this man? But what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. And it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit, the evil spirit from God came upon Saul and he prophesied inside the house. So David played music with his hand as at other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the spear and said, I will pin David to the wall with it. But David escaped his presence twice. Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and had departed from Saul. Therefore, Saul removed him from his presence, made him a captain over a thousand, and he went out and came in before the people. And David behaved wisely in all of his ways, and the Lord was with him. Therefore, when Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. Now we're going to stop here today and we're going to do some of the Easter story today because it's important that we see about these days from Jonah. Turn back to the little prophet of Jonah. Uh, if you can't find Jonah, it's right after Obadiah, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. And Joel It's one of the minor prophets. It's right before Micah, if you get in the Old Testament. Now, this is part of the Easter story from the book of Jonah. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh. And that's located on the east bank of the Tigris River, more than 500 miles from Israel. And so this was a very famous city, and it's still very famous today. Go to Nineveh, that great city, cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah didn't want to go. He rose to flee to Tarshish, which would be like Spain, from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for whom cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us, for what cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, 
the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Well, why didn't you follow his advice instead of going to another country? I fear him. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. When they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up, throw me into the sea, then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to bring the ship to land, but they couldn't, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now is that just part of the day, or is that three whole days? Just a day and a half, like some would say, because it's three whole days, three days and three nights. It says three days and three nights. So three periods of light and three periods of dark, that would be 72 hours. And so Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me, out of the belly of hell I cried. And you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. And the floods surrounded me. And all your billows and waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. Yet I will look again. I want you to decide, is he praying from his soul that died, he died and he's down there and after you're dead, can you still talk? Well, obviously in Luke chapter 16, there was a conversation between two people, both of them dead. And so he's dead and you were gonna see that. He said, yet I'll look again. I believe in the resurrection. I'll look again towards your holy temple. The waters encompassed me, even to my soul. So underline that. The deep closed round me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. I went down to the roots of the mountains. That's where hell is. That's where Sheol is. That's where the abode of the dead is. And before Jesus rose from the dead, there were two sections in it, a saved section and a lost section. Abraham's soul and spirit, they buried Abraham in the cave of Machpelah, but his soul and spirit at the moment of death went right to the saved section because he was a believer in the Savior who would come. And then others in the Old Testament, like Pharaoh, went to the lost section in the heart of the earth. So there were these two sections, and in Luke 16, it said between the two there's a great gulf fixed so that one can't come to the other. Once you're dead, you're dead. Once you're dead, you can't get saved again. While you're alive, you have this opportunity. So it says, it encompassed me even to my soul. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. That would be the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Now this is very, you know, you just wonder about all of this. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, from Sheol, 
O Lord my God. So he was resurrected. When my soul fainted within me, I remember the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. And then he says, salvation is of the Lord. Now I want you to turn to Matthew 12 in connection with this. Matthew 12, verse 38. Jesus, the Pharisees, they want to put him to death, and it's getting near the end of Matthew where he's going to be crucified. Some of the scribes and Pharisees, verse 38 of chapter 12 of Matthew, answered and said, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Well, had he had a lot of other signs, the sign of turning water into wine and all these other signs that he did. We want to see a sign from you. Jesus said, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Well, what is that? For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now how on earth can you get three days and three nights from Friday till Sunday? I'm not very good at math, but I certainly can see that you can't get three days and three nights from that. But we know that he rose the first day of the week now, in order to understand this a little better, let's turn to Genesis chapter 1. There are several places, but the next one that I want to see is about Joseph in Pharaoh's court. But in Genesis chapter 1, you know, Genesis is the most important book, really, in the Bible because everything is in there. The seeds of every truth are in this wonderful book of Genesis. So notice what it says, In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So it was without arrangement. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, and it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness, and he called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. So then he makes the earth in six days. Are they just part of a day? Because many times they are trying to say that Friday crucifixion had to be because the scribes and some of the ancient Jewish people, they counted a part of a day as a day. And, it's, and Dr. Ryrie even has that in his notes. He's way wrong on this. If Dr. Henry Morris were alive today, he knows the truth of this. A day and a night, it's 24 hours. And the darkness he called night, and the evening he called the first day. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. Let it divide the waters from the waters. God divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. The firmament is the stretched out place between the earth and the far off heavens. So God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. Now, where does God start keeping time? He doesn't start morning and evening. No, that's us. We go morning and evening. But God keeps time evening to evening, evening to morning. He starts time evening. So if Jesus rose the first day of the week, we know that it began like at sundown Saturday night. That would be the beginning of the evening. So he rose from the dead sometime, probably right at sundown Saturday night until Sunday night. He rose from the dead. 
God keeps time starting with the evening. And then he said, there was a second day. And God called the dry land earth and the gathering together the waters he called seas and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, this DNA whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so And the earth brought forth grass, herb that yields seed according to its kind and the tree that yields fruit whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and morning were the third day. The third day. Now is this part of the day or is it three whole days of creation? Or just part of days? If you start fooling around with scripture, you're under God's curse because God says, curses is anyone that adds to or takes away from the words of this book. So adding to and changing it is very serious in God's sight. And so then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs, these lights in the heavens and seasons and days and years. Let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. So when did he make the stars? On the fourth day, along with the moon and the sun. Then God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. So the stars are equated with angels. So just quickly we'll say that that's when the angels were created on the fourth day, along with the stars. Because like in Revelation, I saw a star fall from heaven and to him, not it, to him was given the keys to the bottomless pit. So stars and angels are often equated in the scriptures. So God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light and to rule over the day and the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Then God said, let the waters abound with abundance of living creatures. Let the birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures, whales, and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind. Tannin is the Hebrew word, or dragons. You wonder about dragons and dinosaurs. There were sea dinosaurs that were swimming in the ocean. There probably is still a Nessie someplace, a sea dinosaur, hiding over there in one of the locks, L-O-C-H. He created all of this and it was very good. And God blessed them saying, verse 22, be fruitful, multiply, fill the waters in the seas, let the birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Then God said, let the earth bring forth a living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping forth. So it was good, he said. Then the sixth day. Now, is this part of a day or is it six days as we know them? Uh, not part of a day or it would just throw everything in the Bible, cattywampus. You wouldn't be able to understand anything. So on the sixth day, notice what God did. Let us, that's a plural word, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them, man, have dominion over the fish of the sea. And I've thought of this many times because the angels had already been created and this may be the very time that a whole section of them left God and became demonic angels because they had been given dominion over the earth as we saw in Job chapter 1. But now man is given dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, 
And can you imagine these glorious creatures like Lucifer that became Satan? He was clothed with every diamond and jewel, and he was brilliant. He could sing like a pipe organ. He was just everything wonderful. And imagine him saying, look at this man made out of dust. You mean, he's to have dominion over me? Well, you can see a rebellion coming. I think that's when the rebellion happened. So anyway, he said, let man have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the cattle and all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea. Now they want to stop having people have babies and filling the earth. And you won't go out just a little ways in Hillsborough County and it looks like it's very empty. There's a lot of empty space out there that man has not filled yet. But they just want to do away with mankind, really. But over every living thing that moves on the earth, and God said, See, I've given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food. And also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, to everything that creeps on the earth in which there's life, I've given every green herb for food. And it was so. Then God saw everything that he'd made. Indeed, it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. And the heavens and the earth and all the host of them, that would be all the angels and everything, were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work which he had done. Now is this seven days? Are these six real days? And is the seventh day a real day? Well, if it isn't, all the rest of the Bible is mixed up. So all the seventh day he rested and God blessed the seventh day, sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which he had created and made. So this is the history of the heavens and earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now when you see the word day without a numeral in front of it, it can be an extended period of time, like the day of the Lord. But when there's a numeral, like the first day, the second day, it is always 24 hours. And I want you to see that from Genesis 41. This was one way to cinch it too about the day. Remember when Joseph was thrown into prison and he could tell dreams? This is chapter 40 of Genesis. It's after these things that the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt offended Pharaoh. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. So he put them in jail in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined unfairly because Potiphar's wife accused him. You know, she was a wicked witch, really. And she accused him. And so the husband had him put in prison. And so he was there in shackles. And we read that in Psalms that they hurt his feet. And here he was a young teenager. And they were really cruel to him. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with him. And he served them while they were in custody for a while. Then the butler and the baker, the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, dreamed a dream, both of them, each man's dream in one night. 
and each man's dream with its own interpretation. And Joseph came into them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of the Lord's house, saying, Why do you look so sad today? And they said, Well, we've each dreamed a dream, and there's no interpreter of it. And Joseph said to them, Don't interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. Then the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, Behold, in my dream a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches. It was as though it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days, 72 hours, not part of a day. So three branches are three days. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. So three days in the future, you will be put back in your place. But remember me, Joseph said, when it's well with you. And please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. For indeed, I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews, and also I've done nothing here that they should put me in the dungeon. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said to Joseph, I also was in my dream, and I had three white baskets on my head. In the uppermost basket, there were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, and the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. So Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days. So 24 hours each or three whole days or just part of a day. See, all through the Bible, a day is 24 hours. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you and hang you on a tree and the birds will eat your flesh from you. Now it came to pass on the third day, see when it says the third day, that means three whole days later, that Pharaoh made a feast for all his servants and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. And he restored the chief butler to his butlership, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. I wanted to read you one note from Dr. Ryrie here in Genesis 1 that he had down here. Where about the evening and the morning were the first day Later Jewish reckoning began the day with eventide. This may be the reason for the order here, or it may be simply one day cycle was completed. Since daytime closes at evening and night ends with the morning, the phrase indicates that the first day and night had been completed. Evening and morning cannot be construed to mean an age. Some people want to say a day for an age, but only a day. Everywhere in the Pentateuch, that means the Old Testament, the first five books of the Bible, where in the Pentateuch the word day is used with a numerical adjective. It means a solar day. Now calibrated, a solar day is calibrated as 24 hours. And another thing is here in Mark chapter 8. Well, Jesus and his disciples, verse 27, went out of the towns of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But some say Elijah. Others say one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say I am? And Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ. Then Jesus charged them that they should tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man 
must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And after three days, underline this verse, when he says three, he means three, 24 hours. After three days, he will rise again. So the third day, when it often says the third day, it means after three days. Then let's turn a little bit to Luke. Luke chapter 23, verse 32. There were also two other criminals. See, I would urge you to read the Easter book because there are a lot more things in there. All of these things are in there. There was also two criminals led with him to be put to death, verse 33. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left, then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he's the Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you're the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other criminal answering rebuked this first one, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? For we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then this criminal said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So he became a believer that day on the cross. That's, you know, a deathbed conversion. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And so it was about noon, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. So he was buried then in the rich man's tomb. And then chapter 24 says, Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning. So the first day of the week would begin Saturday night at sundown. So Saturday night at sundown, I can't believe the Lord would leave him any more than three days and three nights in the heart of the earth in hell. And so he rose from the dead probably right at sundown Saturday night. But as Saturday night rolled on early in the morning while it was yet dark, so very early in the morning, uh, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they'd prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. When they went in and didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus, it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living? The two men, they were angels. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he's risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And the third day, but Mark says, after three days. So the third day means three full days. After the third day, rise again. And they remembered his words. Now, why do they want to have a Friday crucifixion? Now that started way back in the early days of the church in Constantine's time 
when he hated Israel, he wanted everything changed. And in that wonderful book called um, Israel and the Church by Ronald DeProse, I hope you all will have that book to read. It is so important. I've often wondered why we don't have Easter on Passover. This year it's very close, I guess. It's Passover's maybe Saturday, but usually it's a little bit <coughs> different apart. And Ronald DeProse said that Constantine said that we can't have our day on those despicable Jews' days. I've quoted that exactly from his writing. He hated Israel like many people do today, so they made it on what he calls Good Friday. They made it different, and they made it so that it's not really three days and three nights. But we can correct that by seeing what the Scripture says, that three whole days counted back from Saturday night to Friday night is one day. Friday night to Thursday night is two days. Thursday night to Wednesday night is three days and three nights. So he was in the tomb Wednesday night. Tuesday night, he was taken out, and all night long he was buffeted and went to trial, and then he was taken out and crucified and was put in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb and was in there three days and three nights. And so this is what Jesus said after the first day of the week, they came and they found that he was gone. And verse 6 says, He's not here, but he's risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb, told all these things to the eleven and all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them, who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they didn't believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so they didn't know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then one, whose name was Clopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And you haven't known the things that happened there these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day, three full days, since these things happened. Yes, and certain women in our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they didn't find his body, and they came saying they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, all the prophets have spoken. Didn't the Christ have to suffer these things, like Isaiah said, and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, Jesus expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So when we read the Old Testament, we need to see Jesus on every page. 
the things concerning himself. And they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated he would go farther, but they constrained him, saying, Stay with us. It's toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Didn't our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour, returned to Jerusalem, found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in breaking of bread. So Jesus then came and stood before them. They thought he was a ghost. He said, no, put your hands in my side. I'm not a ghost. So he said to them, verse 44, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, the first five books, in the prophets and the Psalms. They're all about Jesus concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. That's what we read then in the first chapter of Acts, of the promise of the Holy Spirit coming to indwell them. But you wait in the city of Jerusalem, until you're endued with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany. He lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass when he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. So this is a little bit of the Easter story from Jonah and a little bit of the David and Goliath story from 1 Samuel. Lord, thank you for this time together. And we just worship you this Easter time and are so thankful that, that you were willing to pay this awful price of dying for our sins. But we're so thankful that you raised him from the dead and that he is risen indeed. So we thank you, Lord, for our salvation in him. In Jesus' name, amen. Any questions or any comments? Yes, Luke. I know, Margaret, that we believe that rapture will occur on uh, Feast of Trumpets in the fall. Would it be feasible to think of it as happening on Ascension Day when Jesus ascended 40 days after? I think it's going to happen on a feast day. See, what happened at the Feast of Passover? He was crucified. He was the Passover lamb. Well, what happened at the Feast of First Fruits? That's when he was raised from the dead. The rapture isn't then. The rapture's different. The church is different. And so the church began on the day of Pentecost in the spring. Now, some people think that that's when the rapture will be. But I think he started it on Pentecost. But I think he'll take it up at the Feast of Trumpets after a long, hot summer, after a long period of time. But that's just my thinking on it. Any other questions? Who can say that the Bible is not exciting to just read? I mean, to just read how exciting it is. I just think it's wonderful. <laughs>